This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening first time dance! With me, Richard Innes. And me, Steve Meyer. Hello. Um, everybody has a nightmare with child discipline. Everyone has a nightmare with getting their kids to do what they want to do. Hopefully, this next guest might actually have the answer. We spoke to uh, Tom Phelan, who is a best-selling author of a book called One, Two, Three Magic. He was put onto us by a previous guest, Emily Oster, uh, who's used his technique with her own kids and is a big fan. So have a listen. There's definitely some good tips in there, and hopefully we can help you control your little rascals. Uh, Tom, thanks very much for joining us on the, on the podcast. Um, you're talking to us from Chicago, so um, we, we might have a, a little bit of an echo on the line, but um, we had a chat beforehand and we can, we can hear you fine. Um, well, thank you. We were, we were uh, talking a moment ago uh, about how Rich and I have got two young boys who are three and two and a half, uh, and we were really fascinated to get some tips from you, some practical stuff about how we should start to give them the guidance stroke uh, discipline that, um, that perhaps a lot of parents might want to give their kids. So what would you, you say? Where should we start? <laughs> it's, a, it's a rather broad question, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the place to start is what we do in the uh, one, two, three magic program is we tell parents, um, you know, it's easy to get bewildered by the job of parenting. So we break it down into three. uh, We make them as simple as we can three jobs. And your first job is to deal with obnoxious behavior, like arguing, yelling, whining, fighting, screaming, teasing, and that kind of thing. Your second job is to encourage positive behavior which is, um, you know, eating, uh, going to bed. Uh, what's more important than going to bed? Staying in bed, uh, <laughs> yes. getting up and out in the morning, that kind of thing. And then your third job is um, uh, bonding with the kids or strengthening your relationship with the children. A lot of that comes naturally, but um, a lot of bonding is seriously interfered with if there are big discipline problems. So first thing is to, whether you got a 2-year-old or a 12-year-old, is to organize your parenting job in those three categories, if you want, those three jobs. And then uh, we talk about how to do uh, each one. And we also talk in one, two, three magic uh, about the biggest mistake parents make in de- dealing with kids, and that is talking too much. Ah, okay. That, yeah, that sounds is, like me, Tom. Ch- that yeah. sounds exactly <laughs> like me. I, I, I have, I've been lured into this trap, I think, where I sometimes talk to my son as if he's 14, and we, we try and have this discussion you know, try yeah. try to kind of assess what's just happened and ask him yeah. why and all these things. And I, I, oh, I, no. I'm I'm very aware that this is a completely pointless exercise because he's two; he doesn't <laughs> quite understand. But why do we why do we get pulled into this this type of conversation with our very young children? Do you think? I think it's it just comes naturally. Uh, we are so used to before you have kids, little kids. Who are you talking to most of the time? Is uh, adults. And you're at work or talking to adults, and, and adults are much more likely, although not all the time, to respond to words and reason. Uh, and so we tend to explain things, and it's perfectly clear to you when you're explaining to the two-year-old why he should eat his 
uh, oatmeal in the morning. Um, but he doesn't see it the same way. And your words are more like uh, aggravating noise to him, just like you said. Uh, you know, you understand what you're talking about, and you can't understand why he doesn't. But this uh, this is what we call the little adult assumption in the one two three magic program. It's an idea in our heads, meaning us adults, that kids are just smaller versions of us, but basically they have hearts of gold and they're reasonable and unselfish. So if we explain the thing to them, whatever their age, um, they will uh, turn around and say, "Gee, I never looked at it like that before. Thanks for taking the time to explain it to me." And they will reform and change their ways for the rest of their life. And, <laughs> ah, so we, so, so we, if we, if we can park that particular uh, approach, what, <laughs> what should Rich be doing when Ben, his son, has decided to uh, to decorate the kitchen with his breakfast cereal? <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, what he could be doing is, <clears throat> if he's, uh, if that behavior is coming in little pieces, he's doing a little bit of it now, a little bit of it now, and a little bit of it now. That's a great uh, uh, strategy for uh, uh, counting. So what we're going to say is this is an obnoxious behavior, and it could be very innocent. It doesn't mean the kid's a sociopath or he's out to get you. Uh, he's just experimenting with life, and he's decorating the kitchen with uh, you know food or whatever it is. So, but that turns out that's an undesirable or obnoxious behavior. So we're going to use counting, and counting is for parenting job number one. And so when the child is doing that, you can start at age 18 months of old age. You do a very friendly, you hold up one finger, and in a very friendly way you say, that's one, or that's one, like that. And that means uh, to the child, I'm doing something wrong, I better figure out what it is, and I better stop it. Uh, and so that, that's how you're going to respond to it. And that is much better than saying, now look, at if you mess up the whole kitchen, what's going to happen? We're going to have to clean this up, aren't we? Is that what you want? You really want to clean up the kitchen? Do you want to make daddy clean up the kitchen? You want to make money? You know, all that logic just aggravates you and aggravates the kid. So you just say, that's one, and then you be quiet. And the child has five seconds to stop the behavior. If they don't, you're going to say, that's two. And then you be quiet again, five seconds. You cannot talk. That ruins the whole thing. And most kids will stop after a while after they get the hang of it. Uh, but if they don't, then they hit a three. Then it's time for a break, rest period, timeout, call it whatever you want. Uh, and the child will go to, uh, you know, pack and play in their room. They can sit in a chair uh, or whatever uh, for, you know, a minute or two. And then they come back out and you start all over. But you don't, like you were talking about before, you don't sit them down afterwards and say, now let's take a look at what happened here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, kid's, the kid's two years old. <laughs> no, like a post-game analysis. This is the problem I get drawn yeah, into. So I ask my son, we, if he exhibits any, I say, violent behavior, so if he throws a car across the room or if he yeah. pinches his sister on the cheek, um, we just immediately step in and say, right, Jackson, come and sit on the step. Um, and we've got like, some right. steps down to our kitchen and he doesn't get an option to do it again. He just immediately gets moved there and then we close the door, give him two minutes and then open the door and say, do you know why you're sat here? And he'll say, because I pinched Iris, generally. Uh, and then they'll say, okay, I forgive you. Do you want to come and play with Iris? And then he will come out to play. And we've been doing this quite recently and it seems to be having a, a kind of a positive effect. And it actually seems he, he relaxes because he's, he's taken out of that intense period moment where you're getting, well, I'm getting stressed and his sister's crying and one of those pieces. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're making two uh, good points there. One is if the behavior is bad enough to start with, with it's an automatic uh, break time or rest period. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second thing is, 
you're talking about it afterwards, but you're not doing a bad job of it. If you if you say, do you know why you went to a rest period? And he says, I pinched my sister. That's fine. And and, and then you drop it. We prefer to just drop the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They come up respirate and you don't even bring it up because they know what they did yeah and even at two uh but with the little one sometimes we'll say no pinching pinching hurts people and yeah. then they go to break time uh and that's the explanation but you're not doing bad with it and i never quarrel with success if you can if <laughs> keeping the talking down to that minimum it's a mixed uh, bag tom it's a mixed bag sometimes <laughs> i say to him do you know what you're hearing he says Tell me, Daddy. <laughs> Tell that's, me, Daddy. I that's don't getting know. a bit existential, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't want to get carried away with that because that can really get into, you know, the Super Nanny program and some of the other ones, they, they put the person on the naughty or the child on the naughty rug, and then afterwards they say, now, uh, I want you to tell me two things. What did you do that got you on the naughty rug? And how are you going to, you know, you're supposed to present a, it's like you're on parole. You're supposed to print a, present a plan for the rest of your life. How are you going to limit this behavior? And that gets you into discussions that are, I think, that they, they don't work very well. And one of the other things they do with the children is that they, they introduce an element of shame. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's the money rug. And we're not into shaming the kids. These kids, like you were talking about, you get some, a, kid, a kid who's two. Uh, my grandson did this one to me. When, he, when He's about two. I put scrambled eggs on his high chair in front of him, <laughs> and he just dropped them right on the floor. <laughs> And these, these kids are experimenters. They're not nasty. They're just saying, hmm, what happens if I do this? And and the look in their eye is priceless. It's this 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 kind of gleam in their eye, and yeah. you can see experimentation, and it's kind of fun and all that. Uh, but if we parents are in a bad mood, then, of course, we yeah. can make a mess out because of it. Because I suppose this goes back to your, your point before, Tom, but I, I sometimes get that thing of you're doing that deliberately to provoke me. So there'll be yeah. times when he won't listen to me. So I will be trying to say, now, Ben, look at daddy. Ben, ben, daddy's talking to you. And I'm trying to get him to listen to me about, you know, whatever it might be that he needs to put his shoes on or it's time for bed or whatever. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and, then, and then I can see, and I, sometimes I feel like I can see him thinking, well, I'm just going to push this as far as I can and see what happens. So in that, in that regard, is that, is that behavior that requires correction, as it were, or is that just him, as you said, kind of just exploring? Well, in your example, if we look at your example carefully, that's that's a different kind of that's getting to a different parenting job because you're trying to get him to put his shoes on. Mm. Okay, so that's a positive behavior. So remember, where there were three jobs: obnoxious uh-huh. behavior, positive behavior, and bonding. Okay. So yeah. the kid decorating the kitchen with the food is a uh, an undesirable, obnoxious behavior. So he was counting. You want to get a child to put on their shoes or eat. We'll go to bed. <clears throat> that's, that's parenting job number two, mm. which is encouraging positive behavior. How, right, how, does, how does Rich do this? Yeah. yeah how do we is, do this? This, this is, is really good. This is I'm, the magic I, trick. Yeah, I'm going to try this later. <laughs> how do we do I'm taking this? notes here, Tom, so yes, please. Okay. So the question is how do you get, how do you get the kids to do the positive stuff? And, and uh, what you need to do with the little kids – they're kind of, with preschoolers, there's sort of different tactics than there are with the big guys. But let's do the preschoolers because that's what you're talking about here. Uh, one of the most common questions we get is how do you get kids to brush their teeth? Uh, and, and there are a number of things, but you, you want this to be friendly and not intellectual. So what you do, one of the best things you can do is model it. Okay, so you get a toothbrush and you yeah. put it in your mouth and you brush your teeth mm. and they want you do it. And then they want, it, they want the toothbrush. And so you give them the toothbrush and they imitate uh, imitate you uh, and do it like that. Another tactic you use is lots of praise. 
Mm. So they say, look how you're putting you, you know, look how you're putting your shoes on, or look how you're brushing your teeth. That's just great. I've used uh, what's called negative psychology some of the time. You don't know how to put on your shoes. You don't know. How to do <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there. I've definitely you been there. You get this real sly grin on their face. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm going to show you, and then the toothbrush goes in the mouth, and and that kind of thing. But it, you you want with the kids when they're preschoolers, you want these friendly things. You don't want to, you know, it's time to put on your shoes or it's time to brush your teeth. That's a lousy start for a two-year-old. You see, I've yeah. just had root canal and <laughs> I use that as a description of why he should brush his teeth. Because <laughs> I explained in detail about having my teeth drilled uh, and it being very painful and daddy's teeth hurting. And the reason that daddy has root canal is because when he was a little boy, he didn't brush his teeth. <laughs> well, Whatever you know, works. If, if your kid's nine, that might work. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure it's and, working. You know, <laughs> Kid, kids like stories. So, like, again, I said I don't quarrel with success. If you tell them that story and you think he understands, that's fine. But don't expect that to be your main motivational technique. No, no, you no. You still got to do the praise, the modeling, make a game out of it, negative psychology. I've noticed time. his sister, who's just 15 months, is much better at brushing her teeth than he is was that right? at that age because she sits in the bath and watches him do it and just copies him. Yeah. 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 And that's a good point because you – one of the main motivations that we sometimes forget as parents that little kids have is they want to do what the big guys are doing. Mm. And the big guys include older sibs and adults. Uh, so that's why if you, you do it, you know, I, I was out yesterday in the, uh, in a store. I, I must've seen four or five little kids that are pushing their own, uh, we call it buggy, mm. you know, or pushing their own cart. Yep. Uh, and they, they, they don't want mommy to push it. They want to push it themselves. Yeah. Uh, and that motivation we really want to reinforce and uh, tap into. And, yeah. uh, you know, they want to drive cars ultimately and do all kinds of stuff. We, we, we already have a situation where my son, every time I put him in the car, he says he wants to drive it. And he will now actually say yeah. to me, when, when we're getting into the car at two years old and I'm trying to get him in his car seat, he looks at me and says, I can drive when I'm 17, Daddy. And I said, yes, you can no. drive when you're 17, son. Yeah, that's fine. That's still a little way away in a little while. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what, 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 what strikes me, Tom, about a lot of what you're saying is that it's almost like we as parents tend to overcomplicate a lot of these things. And actually, it seems to me that your, your whole strategy that you're describing here is actually kind of simplifying the whole thing a little bit and just saying, look, that, you know, you don't have to, there doesn't have to be some great philosophical debate behind <laughs> everything. Actually, that's it can right. just be a case of what works, works. That's right. The, the biggest thing is the, uh, like you, you call it complicating it. And, and I would add to that, it's complicating it with words and talking too much. And the funny thing about it is you won't say anything that's crazy or psychotic or stupid. All, all the words that we use when we're talking to our kids make perfect sense. It's just using them and talking like that uh, hurts the situation, causes damage and confuses and aggravates the child. I can think of a really good example, actually, that just recently with my boy where I used to have a real problem getting him upstairs for bed, bath time and bedtime. And so we were trying to get him upstairs and then I would be having this conversation with him and talk, talk, talk. And every night it became a battle and it would be he'd, he'd kind of go halfway up the stairs and come back down, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other night I just said, let's have a race up the stairs. And of course yeah. I let him win. And now every yeah. night we say, right, we're going to have a race. And off we go up the stairs. Yeah. And I, you know, I may always make sure that I'm ahead and then I let him get to the top first and congratulate him for winning. And now it's, you know, piece of cake every, yeah. every night. So that's, that was, again, a case of me. I don't know what I was doing. I was just making it far more difficult than I needed to, I suppose. Yeah. And, but you I were do, just being logical. Yeah, and I do a thing with, <laughs> with the two kids because they bath together. And I, 
I say, who's going to get in the bath first? Who's going to get in the bath first? Is Iris going to get in before you? And then suddenly he's like, no, Iris isn't going to get in before me. And he starts <laughs> pulling off his clothes and going, I want to get in first. I want to get in first. And it, it, yeah, it works. It works like that. Well, I've, I used to do it with our kids. We'd go up for baths and I'd, uh, I'd say, now, look, look at, I don't want you to get in the bathtub because you're going to get all wet. And they just laugh, they'd laugh and they smile. And of course, and then they're in the bathtub in about 10 seconds, <laughs> getting all wet and thinking they're just shocking me to death. <laughs> so basically, when it comes to preschoolers, as we're discussing here, Tom, it's uh, logic is the is the enemy here, I suppose, to an extent. And we don't, we just have to try and avoid that if <laughs> possible. Yeah, it really can be. I mean, you can, uh, if they get to be, say, four, I had my grandson in my truck once and there was a knife in the back and he opened up this jackknife and uh, I think he was about six so it wasn't a preschooler but he was six and uh, I said oh C- uh, Cooper uh, you can't uh, open that knife and he said why I said because uh, the blade is very sharp and you can cut yourself and he said oh and he put it away and put it down so that was a one trial learning but that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, so you know you're 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 absolutely right. If you can say something logical and that works, that's fine. But with these kids, I wouldn't start with that. I would start with the other tactics that we talked about. And yes, that is a big problem with kids of any age. It's a problem with parents and adolescents. Is uh, these? Uh, no, I mean it, it, there is a time to talk, uh, but it's not when something's going wrong, uh, and um, it is more. Uh, easier to do it with the older kids. That's interesting. And uh, I, you talked about the tactics. Obviously, we've we've discussed kind of dealing with obnoxious behavior, and then we were talking about kind of positive reinforcement, I guess, of of the things yeah. that you want them to do. What what was the third the, the third strand? The bonding. The bonding. How does what, that work? What, what's your what's your tip on? We're that? all about bonding, Rich and I. <laughs> we're all about bonding. Yeah. The bonding. Uh, it goes like this: that <clears throat> the first thing about bonding is if you use the tactics for obnoxious behavior and positive behavior, jobs one and two. If you use those tactics well, a, a, a lot of bonding will just happen naturally. So you take your example of uh, running up the stairs, you know, to go to the, the bath uh, and racing up the stairs or whatever. That, that's a, a tactic for positive behavior. But there's also a, a lot of bonding that goes yeah. on while yeah. doing that because it's fun yeah. and um, so on. So that will happen if you do your counting right and you do your positive tactics right, a lot of bonding will occur. Then we have four other tactics that we uh, talk about to encourage bonding. And I'll just tell you my, my favorite. My, my, my favorite, favorite tactic is uh, shared one-on-one fun. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to bond with anybody. Chances are when you decided to uh, get married or live together or whatever, uh, you were with a person – uh, who, whom you found to be a lot of fun. And you think, wow, this person's this much fun. we got to do this more often or live together or get married or whatever. But shared fun is a tremendous uh, bonding thing. So, And you notice I said one-on-one. I didn't say family. Yeah. I don't know about you over in the U.K., but family fun in the United States is way overrated. Uh, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. And the reason it's overrated is, number one, the more people you have, the more agendas you have to coordinate. Number two, uh, you get the issue of sibling rivalry if you have more than one kid. And that's a real uh, blistering, bad uh, issue. And number three, kids, if you've ever done it, kids cherish uh, one-on-one time with a, a parent. Mm. Uh, the parent likes the one-on-one time uh, with the child because there's no chance of sibling rivalry. So it's a win-win situation. So 
one-on-one fun. And it doesn't, you could, you could go out for a walk, you could eat dinner together, you could <clears throat> leave the rest of the family at home and go out to a movie or, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive or fancy, but we, we do this family fun thing so much and we miss the most intense bonding, which is one child and one parent doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I find that actually that, um, I take, I've taken my son to, to see a play before, you know, a kids, a kids play or to, to a concert, just the, just the two of us. And we have a really nice, complete oh, yeah. experience because we leave the house together, say goodbye to mummy and his sister. We go and do our activity. We have maybe like a, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a hot chocolate or something together. And then we can yeah. travel back together talking about what's happened and then yeah. we can refer to it. And it's something that just the two of us can share. We can share the information with, with mum and sister, but it's just something that's yeah. precious to us. That's right. That's exactly right. That's a great example. And you know, the other thing about this is dad bonding is a real problem because who, who gets to bond with the kid? It's the mother. I mean, the mother bonded with the kid for nine months before the child was born. Yeah. So they have, they have that tie and moms naturally go after this kind of thing. Uh, uh, more, they, they are more parenting oriented, I think, than, than, than dads are. So we dads, we have a real a bonding issue with our kids. We, we don't naturally uh, come to the one-on-one bonding the same way the moms. We, we've spoken so, about this a lot, actually, Tom, on the, on the podcast in, in previous oh, episodes. Oh, yeah. I mean, fundamentally, that's, that's kind of what, what we, what we discuss really in the sense that, um, you know, dads often being the primary breadwinners in many situations, you know, that means you're not, yeah. you're not at home in time to see the kids before they go to bed sometimes, etc. I mean, Mike, your, your thing about one-on-one fun, um, I, I would like the thing I went to is my sort of bath time, bedtime routine with my son. Cause we do that kind of for that reason. So we're not actually leaving the house, but I would still yeah. classify it as that way in the sense that we say goodnight to mummy and his little brother when we go to, when we go upstairs and then there's a good sort of 45 minutes of bath time, us playing around on the bed, him getting into his pajamas, the bedtime story, all those yeah, things. That's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Tom, do you find, um, because of what you just said about, uh, I mean, you know, 99% of the time it is still the mum that does the, the most of the caring, although I guess society is, is changing so that dads are becoming much more involved, hence this sort of podcast that we do, that the discipline approach from mum and dad is different because dad has not seen the child develop in quite the same way. Do you think dads are you know, find it easier to discipline or mums? What's, what's your, what's your learnings and observations about the, the differences or is it not hard and fast? Well, I think there are some generalities that you can make. And one is that uh, dads often have an easier time of it uh, with discipline than moms. And I think one of the reasons is dads are often larger, more in, intimidating and more likely to use um, uh, not, uh, sometimes physical discipline as well as things like yelling or whatever, but the kids don't want to cross dad and dad's less familiar than mom. Intimidation. Dad, yeah. Yeah. And dad's also, I think two other things, dads are less likely to talk too much, although they certainly can do it. Um, and dads are less likely to feel guilty. The something about the way we um, educate our moms uh, makes them guilt freaks in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. And, definitely. I see they're that. They're so worried about doing the right thing with their kids and the kids sense that worry. And then that makes the moms vulnerable to uh, testing and manipulation or misbehavior. Dads aren't guilt freaks as much. <laughs> they, they, it's not that they don't care. 
but they just don't get hung up on, uh, as, as much as, am I being a good dad and am I doing this right? They, they say, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do. This is my way. I'm it's it's being it. more practical, isn't it, in terms of are we actually solving a, a, a problem here? Yeah, right? you've that, only, that's often a bit... yeah, you've only got to jump onto Amazon and, and look at uh, parenting books to see the covers and how many of the covers are mum and a baby Mm. There's not that many which are dad and baby, mm. so they're they're, they're, they're yep. obviously aimed at the receptive audience of women that are seeking out or mums that are seeking out, you know, the, the advice and and that and guys just kind of crack on. You you mentioned right. sorry, something interrupt, but you you mentioned um, sort of guys, you know, dads might raise their voice more often than than the mum typically. Um, do you yep. do you think there's are there situations where the raising of the voice, where kind of shouting at a child is is justified or important? Well, yeah, sometimes if it's a question of uh, new, unusual, or dangerous, uh, I think the voice can communicate a lot, as long as it doesn't get into, you know, uh, uh, screaming, yelling, shaming. Mm. Uh, so if kids running out in the street and you scream their name, um, in your voice is, 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 is fear, whether you're a mom or a dad. Um, but that the kids, kids know and respond to nonverbal cues, so the sound of your voice there is a nonverbal cue that can actually be useful in that situation. But if you overuse that tactic and you're screaming about brushing teeth and, you know, taking a bath and all that kind of stuff, now it's going to lose its effectiveness. Mm. Uh, so, so I guess that if I'm out and about and my son's on his scooter and he's scooting too far ahead and you can see he's going to cross a road and there's a danger and I shout, Jackson, stop, very loudly – that could yeah. be a useful way to use my loud voice. However, if I'm at home and he's just being quite whiny and wanting uh, a, a particular book read to him and I go, for goodness sakes, just <laughs> shut up and shout at him, that's an unproductive way of using your voice. That's right. And, you you know, just like me or anybody else, you, you'd be more likely to do it inappropriately at home if you are upset or fried about some other issue. So yeah. say you had a day at work or something else is going wrong in your life, then, you know, we all tend to take that out on our families. And so that would make for an inappropriate. I guess it's like at work, isn't it? If your your boss shouts at you, then you're not going to do what you, it's not going to be very productive. Indeed. To go to just, and actually on that point, to go back to the very beginning of the, of the one, two, three, you know, that, that first, that first strategy in terms of dealing with the obnoxious behavior, you, you were very, you made a point there of saying, you know, you need to not talk, but you need to be very calm when you're doing it as well. The one, two, three. That's right. Yeah, the, the words we use are calm and decisive. Mm. Uh, so you don't want to get, if you more anxious or angry you get, the more you'll screw it up. And the decisive part, it's really critical. Kids respond very well when they get the feeling that the parents know what they're doing. <laughs> so, and you can, you can actually, I've had families where I taught the parents the one, two, three, their kid was tantruming. And I taught them the one, two, three, they went home and I said, Tell him when they came there back for their next visit, I said, how did it go? And he said, well, he never tantrumed again. And she said, we never had to use the one, two, three. And the only thing I can figure is that they went home with a different attitude and the child sensed it. Yeah. That I, they, yeah. they knew what they were doing. They weren't going to put up with this kind of garbage anymore. And the kid sensed it. And that doesn't always happen. But, yeah. I, I can imagine. common decisive are the words. Yeah. We've had some experience with the, with kind of sleep training. And, and my wife and I weren't sleeping and the kids weren't sleeping. And everyone was wrung out and tired. And we got some some professional help with, with, with that. And it was as much giving us confidence 
and to, to be able to, to tell the kids what we wanted from them or express what we wanted from them. And it, it seems to have worked, and it's been a much calmer calmer house. We don't have to do the, the actual technique. It's just knowing yeah. you've got it in your repertoire, if you like, mm-hmm. makes makes things easier. That's right. You've got the tool, and the kids sense you have the tool, but you want to be careful with that. You don't over-explain the tool because then you're getting back into sounding anxious and uncertain. Uh, so, you know, you, you get a tool and you explain it to them and then you do it. Uh, and they're reading the nonverbal cues from you, you know, the sound of your voice and the way you behave and how much you don't talk. Uh, it can be very effective ways of getting the message across to the kids. And Tom, I was, I was leaving the office yesterday and I was talking to another dad who's got a child who's a little bit younger than, than my son. And it, we were asked, as dads tend to do, like, how's he going? How's his sleep? How's his behavior? And I gave my answer, and I said, "And how's your son?" And he said, "He's naughty." <laughs> is there is there such a thing as a naughty child, or is there just a uh, a behaviour that hasn't been uh, uh, not dealt with, but you know, um, managed in the right way? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me of the philosophical question of evil. <clears throat> is there such a thing as evil? And I don't think there's a big thing evil stalking around out there, but I think there are a lot of events that we humans don't like. And so we call it evil. And I think with naughty, it's just another word for the parents don't like that behavior. And so naughty is going to translate into our job number one. We have too many obnoxious or undesirable behaviors. Our job number two, the kid's not doing what he's supposed to do, like go to bed or eat his food. That's naughty. Uh, That's how we define it. So in dealing with that, I think we're going to deal with the behavior. There are kids that are much more difficult than other kids. Uh, that's for sure. And there are kids also who sense their parents' anxiety and uncertainty and the mom and dad have the slightest idea what they're doing. And that will, I don't, I don't want to use the word make, but that will tend to provoke more naughty or difficult behavior in the child. So um, uh, I, I, I think naughty is a descriptor. Uh, and I don't like to think there, there are kids who inherent, are inherently you know, just evil or naughty, but there are sure kids that are are extremely difficult to to deal with. Some of them are a a joy, especially if you have only one child, Uh, and some of the kids are just uh, difficult from the word go. They're all different is the is the long and the short of it, isn't it? I mean I think we, we, we always come back to that fact that, you know, you can have you can have all the strategies in the world, but every child requires something slightly different, don't they? They do. And you know, i our kids were our our first one was our difficult one. And then the second one was like, you know, well, first one was a boy, and the second one was a girl, and then the second one was, you know, very easy, anxious to please. And you think, you know, did, did these kids come from the same parents? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on here, but we find that a lot. You get so, so many differences, and then parents get to wondering, what am I doing wrong, or am I doing something wrong that is creating this difference? And no, we we know now that so much of this stuff is genetic. It's uh, Their kids are born with them difficult genes if you want and easy genes and we got to take them as they are and yes they are different uh, but you're going to be using uh, somewhat different tactics and and, and you with a difficult kid you're going to be using more of one two three magic mm. great okay. tom Lovely. that's been fascinating I, I feel i feel better equipped uh, just off the back of that last 30 minutes of discussion so thank you very much i think ben is going to get a bit of one two three when he gets <laughs> well we've already started trying the one two three but not okay. not not the actual one two three magic they, they implemented something at his at his nursery at his daycare where they were doing something along these lines but i think we can refine it to, to what you've been describing tom and i think uh, it will be very very effective 
I think you can. I just give you a tip. Before you ever started at home, make sure you know the answers to all the questions in the FAQ chapter. Okay. 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 Well, uh, uh, the Good book tip. is One, Two, Three Magic uh, uh, by Dr. Thomas Phelan. And uh, it's been great to have you on, Tom. And um, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye-bye. All the best.